Lord, we do thank you and praise you that all that we have and everything we do is all only because of you. Remind us of that this morning. Remind us of your great love, your great faithfulness, even in the times that we aren't faithful to you, even in the times when we don't see how great and glorious and wonderful and beautiful and lovely you truly are. Help us to see that this morning as we go to your word. Would you guide us in truth to understand what you're saying to us? And Lord, would you use that to transform our lives and how we live in this world? And I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. I know we have a lot of visitors today, so just so everyone's aware, we are dismissing for junior church and toddle time. Junior church is for kindergarten through sixth grade, and we'll be right out in the south wing. And then for our younger kids who are like two to four years old, they can go downstairs to toddle time, uh, and you guys can make use of those opportunities for your kids. And the nursery, of course, is right down the hallway as well. Uh, so make sure you make use of those if that's what you need to do. All right. So, sorry, you'd think I'd remember to do this one of these weeks. All right, we're going to be finding ourselves back in the book of Proverbs as we've been throughout the summer. I know the summer is technically over, I guess. I mean, not officially, but it is technically over. Uh, But we are going to be finishing Proverbs 1 through 9. That is our goal. Today we're going to find ourselves in Proverbs chapter 7. Proverbs chapter 7. And uh, as you'll see, even on the bulletin notes, uh, this is going to be the whole chapter 7. So one whole chapter. We joked about that a little bit at our elders meeting. Uh, You don't need to be too afraid. Uh, Yes, it is one full chapter, and actually we're going to, but we're going to actually spend more of our time today looking at some background information and looking at some ways that we can understand this passage that actually might end up taking us longer than the chapter itself. not saying that to scare anybody, just saying one chapter, but we'll be all right. So one whole chapter in Proverbs chapter 7. Uh, 27 verses, and we're going to break that down, look at some things that we're going to be seeing today. But we do need to do a little bit of review before we jump into uh, our passage for today, before we jump into what we're going to be talking about. Uh, And uh, you guys will, no doubt, doubt you will understand, if you've been with us, um, how all these things that we've been looking at through Proverbs 1 through 6 so far are all uh, pointing us towards one theme, and we're going to look at that again today. And that is faithfulness to Jesus and faithfulness to wisdom. So, so far, the book of Proverbs, as we've looked at, uh, if we're going to boil it down to the shortest possible understanding, is that the book of Proverbs says that we need to be walking in wisdom, which, as we've looked at throughout all of this time together, walking in wisdom, living a life that is wise, is trusting in Jesus. The two are the same thing. They're two sides of the same coin. To walk in wisdom, to live in this world in a way that is wise and understanding and that is good, is the same as what we will see throughout all of Scripture that points us towards Jesus, that trusting in Jesus with our lives, walking step by step, looking to Him, that is what wisdom is. It's not a list of do's and don'ts. If you do some things and don't do others, then you'll be wise. That does come out in the book of Proverbs, but at the end of the day, The motivation behind everything we do needs to be to point towards Jesus, to walk with Jesus. And if we do that, then we will be walking in wisdom. And I want to remind you that wisdom throughout this book 
uh, so far that we've looked at and all through the whole book, wisdom is often personified, or there's a metaphor, and that metaphor, that personification is lady wisdom. There is a woman that should be desired above all else, and that is lady wisdom, who is really ultimately the person of Jesus as it points forward. And we need to be pursuing lady wisdom. We've been looking at that time and time again. And that will be something that we need to understand as we look at today's passage, or there's some things that we may not quite get. Last week, where we were in Proverbs chapter 6, and uh, was maybe awkward for some, but yet at the same time was something vitally important as we talk about wisdom, in which Solomon is talking to his son, and he's talking to his kids and saying, adultery, being sexually unfaithful to your spouse, is harmful and destructive. Uh, We see that all through the chapter 6. We see that through other places throughout Proverbs. Now, if you uh, weren't here last week and would like to hear more about how adultery can destroy marriages, destroy lives, destroy society even... Go back to last week. Listen to what Pastor Justin had to say as he looked at chapter 6 of Proverbs. Adultery is harmful and destructive. Yes, of course, we understand that. And if we don't, Proverbs tells us that very clearly. Today, as we move into chapter 7, we're going to continue talking about adultery. But we're going to talk about it in a little bit of a different way. You may remember uh, when I preached several weeks ago, I'm not sure what week it was, Uh, But when I went through and we talked about how we can guard and lead our heart, one of the things that I said at that point was that we need to be careful not to listen to the seductress of the world. I called the seductress of the world woman wickedness at that point. That we can be seduced away from walking with Jesus in wisdom and instead walk towards destruction on the path of foolishness and wickedness. That theme is going to come out again today as we look at chapter 7. And so what I want to say, uh, just to throw, throw this out right now, as we look through chapter 7, there's lots of things that have physical truths and physical realities to that. That there are ways that people will seduce other people towards adultery, but I don't want us to miss in the midst of this that this passage is not just about being faithful to your spouse or not getting trapped by someone who wants to make you to be unfaithful. A lot of times we come to these passages in Proverbs and people will immediately say, well, this isn't me. I'm not an adulterer. I'm not an adulteress. So why does this really apply to me? I'm not even tempted to leave my spouse. I'm not tempted to be unfaithful. So why, how is this going to apply to me? What is the point of talking about adultery? Well, I think in chapter 7 and through the book of Proverbs, Just as we see a metaphor of wisdom being lady wisdom, I believe that adultery uh, is really a metaphor, is, is, yes, physical truth. We shouldn't commit adultery. That is absolutely true. But then there's a spiritual understanding that we also shouldn't commit spiritual adultery. That as we look at adultery, it it is a metaphor, it is a picture of what spiritual adultery is. And today we're going to talk about what spiritual adultery is all about. So, as we looked last week, adultery is harmful and destructive. Well, this week, we're going to see that spiritual adultery is harmful and destructive. I think Solomon uses adultery when he's talking to his sons. He's saying, this is what you need to understand, that if you commit adultery, that if you are unfaithful, there will be destruction in your your path. There will be harm to you and to others in your path. 
And then I believe through 6 and now as we go into 7, there are some understandings. And we're going to look at chapter 9 briefly. But that this is also something that we need to understand. That when we commit spiritual adultery, when we turn our backs on Jesus himself to live our own way, when we cheat on Jesus, when we do that, it is harmful and destructive. It harms us, it harms others, it harms really even the heart of God, and it, destro- it, can, it will destroy us. And that is something we need to understand as we look at chapter 7 today. So as we read this, as we talk about this, please do not tune this out and think, well, this is not me. I am not struggling with adultery. Because I would dare say that every single one of us sitting in these chairs or standing on this stage, every one of us has a struggle in our lives in which we are, wanting, we are being drawn away from Jesus and drawn towards the ways of the world. Now, are we going to give in to that? Or are we going to remain faithful to Lady Wisdom? Are we going to remain faithful to Jesus? That is the question that we all need to be asking today as we look at this passage. So, as we are saying today that Solomon uses physical adultery as a metaphor for spiritual adultery, let's take a few minutes, and I'm going to take some time today in our introduction, and as I said, this might even take more time than the whole body of what we're going to look at in chapter 7, but I need to introduce to you the concept and the understanding of all of Scripture about spiritual adultery and what it's all about. And I want to start by... uh, actually drawing our attention to the words of this proverb, and then we'll go a couple different places. In the words of this proverb, 7, we're going to look at verses 1 through 5. 7, 1 through 5. This is what we read. My son, keep my words and treasure up my commandments within you. Keep my commandments and live. Keep the teaching as an apple of your eye. Bind them on your fingers. Write them on the tablet of your heart. Say to wisdom, you are my sister, and call insight your intimate friend. To keep you from the forbidden woman, from the adulteress, with her smooth words. All right. So we start off and we're reminded, as we've been so many times throughout the book of Proverbs, that Solomon talking to his son says, you need to listen to my words. You need to listen to the words of God. You need to listen to the wisdom of God. You need to listen listen and take it take it. Uh, seriously, and it's important to understand truth and understand wisdom. And he says, you understand all of this, and as you do that, what you say to wisdom in verse 4 is, you are my sister, and also you should call insight your intimate friend. Now right there, intimate is used, but I want to talk about when it says, say to wisdom, you are my sister. Up to this point, many times we've said that this passage, Proverbs, is really talking about how we need to marry Lady Wisdom. But now it says she's our sister. So that could be very confusing to us. Well, again, sometimes in Hebrew language and how poetry is written, there are some words that don't exactly mean what it seems like they mean. And this is one of those cases. When we see the word sister, we should be reminded of Song of Solomon, verse 4, 9 through 12 is what we're going to specifically read today. I know I have more verses listed on your outline, but we're going to specifically look at Song of Solomon, verse 4. 4, 9 through verse 12. If you know Song of Solomon, Song of Solomon is also written by Solomon, but it's written to his bride. The love of his life as not only showing us how wonderful and good it is to have a relationship with spouses that is full of love and passion, it also will point us towards the fact that this is the same commitment and love we should have towards our Savior. But this is what we see in Song of Solomon 4, 9 through 12. This is what he says to his, his 
spouse, the one he loves. He says, you have captivated my heart, my sister, my bride. You have captivated my heart with one glance of your eyes, with one jewel of your necklace. How beautiful is your love, my sister, my bride. How much better is your love than wine and the fragrance of your oils than any spice. Your lips drip nectar, my bride. Honey and milk are under your tongue and the fragrance of your garments is like the fragrance of Lebanon. A garden locked is my sister, my bride. A spring locked, a fountain sealed. It'll go on even in chapter 5 and use the same understanding as, as we see Song of Solomon. Solomon, when he uses the word sister, is talking about a very, very close relationship and it is connected directly with his bride. As we understand that, we come back to Proverbs chapter 7, written by the same person, and what does it say? It says that we need to call wisdom, you are my sister. In other words, we need to look at wisdom as so close to us that there is a close relationship, and that relationship is as marriage, that we are married, that we are intimate with our wife, and in this case, intimate with wisdom. And so, Right off the bat in this chapter, we're starting to get a picture here. Okay, wisdom, again, we're being reminded that we need to marry wisdom, so we got to remember that metaphor. Don't lose that. Or we'll lose maybe all that Solomon is trying to get across as we look at the deeper meaning maybe that's here than what's right on the surface. We need to understand then that there is going to be more that will come from this. We're then introduced in the same passage, says, Say to wisdom, you are my sister. When we do that, when we are faithful to our bride who is wisdom, it'll keep us from the forbidden woman, the adulteress, with her smooth words. As we've seen before in this passage, the adulteress here is foreign woman, a woman that is not our own. I think even more so here, we look at the foreign woman of being someone who is uh, away and, and godless, the forbidden woman. This is woman wickedness, as I called her several weeks ago. This is woman wickedness. Uh, later on, we're going to see what Proverbs calls her, but we see that now not only uh, are we called to be faithful to Lady Wisdom, our sister, but we need, we're now introduced to the other woman. The other woman is Lady Folly, or Woman Folly. Because in Proverbs 9, in Proverbs 9, we actually see Solomon uh, allude to this. We're going to look at this more when we get to Proverbs 9, but let's just see what he calls, or how he describes Woman Folly. Proverbs 9, 13 through 18. The woman folly is loud. She is seductive and knows nothing. She sits at the door of her house. She takes a seat on the highest places of the town, calling to those who pass by who are going straight on their way. Whoever is simple, let him turn in here. And to him who lacks sense, she says, stolen water is sweet and bread eaten in secret is pleasant. But he does not know that the dead are there, that her guests are in the depths of Sheol. So in Proverbs 9, Solomon personifies folly or foolishness, which leads to wickedness. He personifies, he metaphors with the woman folly. So today we're going to look at who is this other woman and how do we stay away from the other woman. That's so often what people will say when somebody gets caught in a physical act of adultery. Like, well, okay, so he committed adultery with the other woman. Well, today the other woman is Lady Wickedness, Lady Folly as we're going to call her today. One other way that I've heard her described, which I uh, actually I came across this after I'd already printed the bulletin, so I didn't do this, but Lady Lust, right? So that's alliteration there. So woman wickedness, Lady Lust. She is the rival to Lady Wisdom. She is the other woman. She is the rival. And what does that look like? How does that play out? So what we understand then, 
as, as it is important to stay faithful to your spouse and not go to another woman, to go to a foreign woman, to give in to the adulteress, it is just as important that we stay married and faithful to Lady Wisdom, who is Jesus, and stay faithful to him above the world and all the folly that comes with it. So let's take a real quick journey through the book of, through the, through the Bible about spiritual adultery. And, uh, and this is a theme that's going to show up time and time again throughout scripture. And we're just going to look at some passages. I'm going to make some comments and then we're going to move on. But it starts all the way back in Exodus chapter 20. Actually, you could probably say even earlier, but for today's purposes, it starts Exodus chapter 20 verses 4 through 6. You know, this is the passage where the Ten Commandments are given. It's one of the most famous passages in Scripture. But let's look at what he says as he gives them some commandments that he's expecting the people of Israel to follow. Remember, the people of Israel were in a covenant with God, much like a marriage covenant. And now this is the covenant wording that God uses as he asks them to obey these commands for the good of the relationship. Exodus 20, 4 through 6 says this, You shall not make for yourself a carved image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them or serve them. For I, the Lord, your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of fathers on the children to the third and fourth generation to those who hate me, but showing steadfast love to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. God promises his steadfast love to those who follow and listen and love him. But there is something else we need to understand from this passage that as we look at spiritual adultery as a theme of scripture, that from the very beginning, God is jealous of our worship. God is jealous of our worship. Now, many times we use the word jealous and it's an automatic negative connotation because we'll say to somebody, you're just a jealous person. You're always mistrusting everyone else. So you're just always jealous. Well, can I just say, if we're putting this in a marriage uh, metaphor, think about this. If there is a man that is putting the moves on my wife, and he and I better be jealous. I shouldn't just be like, oh, it's not a big deal. I'm just going to let it go, and you do whatever you want. No, if there's a man trying to do something with my wife that I know is only for me, I'm going to get in the way, and I'm going to say, no, she's mine. Stay away from her. Get away. I would be a bad husband if I didn't do that. God being jealous is not a bad thing. God wants his, his bride to be faithful to him. He wants us to be faithful. And there's nothing wrong with being jealous in that sense of the word. Because he sees and he knows who are his. And he says, I'm a jealous God. Don't worship other things. Don't worship other people. Don't make for yourselves other gods because that's not me. You, are being un- you will be unfaithful to me and I am jealous. We understand that God is jealous of our worship. That has to be something that is in our framework of our understanding of who God is. He wants our worship. He is jealous for our worship. At the end of the day, it's because that is what is best for us. But he also wants our worship so that he can receive glory. And that's what we see in Exodus chapter 20. Now, if you're familiar with the Old Testament, um, he gives these rules, he gives these laws and understanding and instructions to the people of Israel. uh, And, of course, they don't follow him. They actually do the exact opposite of what he just said not to do. They make idols for themselves. They worship other gods. They do things that other gods, in quotes there, that of the world would say to do. And they are unfaithful to God. This is over and over again. Look at the book of Judges. Look at all of the Old Testament. You'll see. 
the people of God, Israel, as he called them to be faithful to him, are almost never faithful. They're always turning their back on him and running away to other people. They're giving in to the other woman time and time and time again. And that comes to a head when the Israelite, Israel and Judah end up being uh, exiled from the land because of their unfaithfulness to God. And just one of the passages in the Old Testament that tells us about what this period was like for Israel is in the book of Hosea. Book of Hosea, chapter 4. Let me just frame the whole book of Hosea as saying Hosea is called to do one of the most difficult things, uh, and that is that he, has to, he goes out, he marries a prostitute, and then several times she leaves him, and she, he has to go back to buy her back to make her his wife again. Uh, and this is what God tells him to do as a picture of what God does for his people. But in Hosea 4, 1 through 3, 10 and 11, this is what God says about his people, the children of Israel. He says this, Hear the word of the Lord, O children of Israel, for the Lord has a controversy with the inhabitants of the land. There is no faithfulness or steadfast love, and no knowledge of God in the land. There is swearing, lying, murder, stealing, and committing adultery. They break all bounds, and bloodshed flows, follows bloodshed. Therefore the land mourns, and all who dwell in it languish, and all the beasts of the field and the birds of the heavens and even the fish of the sea are taken away. They shall not eat, they shall not be satisfied, uh, for they shall play the whore but not multiply, because they have forsaken the Lord to cherish whoredom, wine and new wine, which take away the understanding. Some difficult wording here, but what God is saying is very clear. That through the fact that they have given up on faithfulness and steadfast love, they are not faithful, they have given up knowing God. So all the things that accompany that, swearing, lying, murder, stealing, adultery, they're breaking everything, bloodshed, violence, all of this, what we learn from the Old Testament, Hosea 4 is just one place where you see this, is that Israel and also Judah were, did the same thing, were unfaithful to God. They were unfaithful to God and therefore they were punished for it. God says, I'm a jealous God, don't worship other gods. Israel and Judah do that thing. They are unfaithful to him. The way the word of God says, he says, you have been an, you've been an adulterer. You've been an adulteress. That's the understanding here. That they are giving themselves out to others to, be wor- to worship them instead of to worship God. And so Israel has to be punished for it. So we see that God cares about faithfulness. In all of that, in Hosea, we are going to be remembering, though, that God doesn't just abandon his people. He punishes them, but he does not abandon them. He stays there ready for their repentance to bring them back to the land, which eventually he would do. But even greater than that, he gives them a promise later on through Jesus, which we'll talk about at length as we go through this sermon today. But as we now we get to the New Testament, now Jesus has come. He has set things to where they should be. He has re- replaced all of that law in the sense that he's fulfilled the law of God, and now we're following Jesus. He gave his life for the people who were adulterers, for the people of Israel, and really all people who have turned their back on God. Jesus comes into the scene as God takes on flesh and says, I'm going to take the punishment, I'm going to take the penalty for the sin, including all of this spiritual adultery, and bring new life and bring a new covenant. We know all that to be true if you've been in church for any length of time. At the end of our time today, I'm going to look at that even more in detail. But what I say all that to say is now we enter into the New Testament where this, this idea of spiritual adultery continues. 1 Corinthians 6, 15 through 17. This is what Paul has to write to the Corinthian church. He says this, Do you not know that your bodies are members of Christ? 
Shall I then take the members of Christ and make them members of a prostitute? Never. Or do you not know that he who is joined to a prostitute becomes one body with her? For as it is written, the two will become one flesh. But he who is joined to the Lord becomes one spirit with him. What is the understanding we get from 1 Corinthians 6? Is that we as the church are one with Jesus. Just like when a man and a woman become married, they become one flesh. They become one together. They are no longer just two separate people, but now they are one. And that is the picture, as all the New Testament will show us, the picture of how we are united to Christ, how we are one with Christ. That as he died for us and as he, he rose again for us and as we receive him through faith and repentance, when we have a relationship with him, we are joined to him. He is, he, he is our righteousness. He is our holiness. He is everything to us because we are joined to him as one. So therefore, what the, the purpose in 1 Corinthians 6 is to say we are one. So don't go and give yourself up to adultery. This would be physical adultery, but also this would be understood as spiritual adultery. When we give ourselves away to someone else, to another God, to something else, when we do that, we are breaking that bond. We are stressing that bond of being one with, with Christ. So then, as we understand that, if we are one with Jesus... We need to look further in the New Testament. We're going to look at the book of James. We're going to look at the book of 1 John. So read with me this morning. I know we're going kind of quick, but we need to get this background. James 3, 13, 4 through 5. I'm sorry, 3, 13 through 4, 4, 5. Who is wise and understanding among you? By his good conduct, let him know, show his works and the meekness of wisdom. But if you have bitter jealousy and selfish ambition in your hearts, do not boast and be false to the truth. This is not the wisdom that comes down from above, but is earthly, unspiritual, demonic. For where jealousy and selfish ambition exist, there will be disorder in every vile practice. But the wisdom from above is first pure, then peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy and good fruits, impartial and sincere. And a harvest of righteousness is sown in peace by those who make peace. What causes quarrels and, and causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and you do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. You adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. Or do you suppose that it is to no purpose that the, that the scripture says he yearns jealously over the spirit that he has made to dwell in us? James reminds his readers of the fact that God is a jealous God. And so then in chapter 3 and chapter 4, he's saying, okay, so if that's the understanding, if we understand that God is jealous, we need to live a wise and understanding life. And he says that what the world says is unspiritual, it's demonic, it's earthly. That's, that's the wisdom we shouldn't have. We need to pursue lady wisdom, the real wisdom. And he says, not walking, in, walking away from wisdom looks like this, where jealousy and selfish ambition, ambition exists. Uh, he says, when that happens, there's disorder and in evil practice everywhere. He says, but no, but real wisdom is pure, peaceable, gentle, open to reason, full of mercy, impartial and sincere. It's one of peace. He says, when we fight... When we are controlled by our passions and desires, we are living like the world. That's what he's saying in James 4. When we give in to our passions and desires and do whatever it takes to get what we want, that is the way of the world, and that is adultery 
that is, a, we, he calls us adulterous people who will do that. If we are friends with the world, we are enemies of God. We are putting ourselves as enemies of God. We are saying, God, I don't want to be your friend. I don't want to be with you. I don't want to have a relationship with you. I love this more. I love myself more, ultimately. We love our own passions, our own desires that lead us to worship other gods, which usually all comes back down to the fact that truly we're worshiping ourselves. Well, let's talk a little bit more, what does the world look like? Because if we say that being friends with the world is to be putting en- enmity with God, what does that mean? So if spiritual adultery is being a friend of the world, it's living like the world, well, what does the world live like? And that's why we need First John two fifteen through 17, which many of you will know. It says, do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world is passing away along with its desires, but whoever does the will of God abides forever. First John reminds us very clearly what the stakes are. Following the world is just going to pass away. It's going to lead to destruction. But following the will of God, by looking to him, by following Lady Wisdom, by marrying Lady Wisdom, by trusting in Jesus, then we will abide forever. We will have eternal life with him forever and experience the best relationship of forever and ever and ever and ever. That is what First John says. And he says, so if that's true, if we're going to be with Jesus forever, then we need to not love the things of this world. Now, when it says do not love the world, it doesn't mean that we separate ourselves from the world and run away and say, fine, if, if I'm not supposed to love the world, then I'm going to hate it and I'm just going to hermit myself on a hill somewhere. That is not the point. The point is this love, putting things of the world in front of Christ. And how does that look? Well, it becomes as a result of the desires of the flesh, the desires of the eyes, and the pride of life. We see things and we want them. We desire the things that we see. Uh, and it says, if you see it and you want it, you go get it. The world says that's what you do. If you see something you want, go get it. Do whatever it takes, go get that. doesn't matter what type of rules you have to break or what you need to do. Do what you want to do, what you see is right. Go ahead and do it. The desires of the flesh, what makes you feel right? If, it, if you want to live this world and have a fulfilled life, what the world says is you need to go and do whatever you want to do, whatever makes you feel good. That is the ultimate goal in life. If you see something and you want it, you go and get it because it's all about how you feel. The world says time and time again that our feelings are what are reality. That what, what gives us pleasure and what gives us comfort and the things that we desire, when it, when it goes against the word of God, so often that is the world. And when we live in a way in which we are so consumed by what we see and what we feel, but not consumed by the truth of God, <clears throat> then we are being spiritual adulterers and adulteresses. The last thing here is the pride of life. All that matters in life is me. My life, I'll do what I want to make me feel good. Whatever I see, I'll take. It's all about me, 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 me. That's the concept. That is the world we live in. That is loving the world is ultimately loving our own pleasures and desires and loving ourselves more than we love God. That is what the world does. The world makes themselves to be God. Again, when I say the world, I'm talking about the system that we live in and which is polluted by sin and really governed by Satan himself. This is the world we live in, not in the physical world is what I'm talking about. This is the world that we see that is the world system that is corrupted. 
And so if we live a life in which we are consumed by what we see, how, what we feel, and consumed with me, 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 we are committing adultery against God himself. That is what the Old Testament and New Testament shows us. You can look through the whole Bible. There are books written about this theme. You'll see it from page one to page whatever that last page would be. A spiritual adultery is something that needs to be forsaken. We need to be faithful to Jesus, be faithful to God. That is his call in our lives, not to live the way the world lives, but to live the way he calls us to live. This includes our attitudes, includes our feelings, includes the objects that we find our hope and strength in. We need to make sure that we are not worshiping the things of this world, because that is spiritual adultery. All right, so that was a lot of setup. I promise the rest of the sermon is not going to be as long. All right, so we're going to jump back into Proverbs chapter 7, understanding that God is a jealous God who cares about faithfulness. Faithfulness to him and not faithfulness to the world. And so we understand that now as we look at Proverbs chapter 7. We see the connections that Solomon's going to make between physical adultery and spiritual adultery, and we'll make those connections as we go. But we're going to look now at the spiral of spiritual adultery. Because this doesn't usually just happen like this. Usually it's not just I wake up one day and say, you know what, I really just today don't want to follow Jesus and I just want to do my own thing. We don't, it's not usually just all of a sudden happens. This is a spiral that takes us down and Solomon is going to talk to his sons about adultery, keeping in mind that there is a metaphor here as well. How, then, how does a young man get seduced into adultery is the same way we would get seduced into spiritual adultery. So the first thing we see is chapter 7, 6 through 12. Let's read those verses. For at the window of my house I have looked through my lattice and I have seen among the simple, I have perceived among the youths, a young man lacking sense, passing along the street near her corner, taking the road to her house in the twilight, in the evening, at the time of night and darkness. And behold, the woman meets him, dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do not stay home. Now in the street, now in the market, and in every corner, she lies in wait. So the first thing I want to talk about today that we see in Proverbs 7 is this idea that the adulteress, the forbidden woman, the foreign woman, lies in wait. This woman that wants to seduce this simple man, we've talked about simple, naive, like not thinking clearly, not really walking in wisdom here. He's out at night walking on the streets and he's about to be seduced by this woman because she is lying in wait for him is what we read. Adultery is not something you necessarily, he even says you're not, you might not start out seeking adultery, but if you're not careful, adultery will find you. That's true of spiritual adultery as, as well. We see that Lady Folly lies in wait for us just as the adulteress lies in wait for the young man. Lady Folly lays in wait for us. She is looking for an opportunity to get us. This is important for us to understand. I think a lot of us think that this world is neutral, that there's good and bad and, and whatever we choose to go, that's fine. You know, People are ultimately good or this world is ultimately good. It's just there's some bad things in it. But the truth of the matter is, and I believe this wholeheartedly, and I just think about this as we look at the world, the world wants you. The world isn't just sitting back saying, hey, why don't we just wait around? Okay, you know, I'm going to stay in the background until you decide to come to me. No, the world has come to us. We are being bombarded daily 
turn on the TV, read a magazine, go online, whatever you need to do, look at social media, and you will see that the world is lying in wait. In other words, the world is ready to take us, and they're looking for any opportunity to do it. Just like this adulteress is waiting and watching and ready to jump upon this guy to bring him into her home, that is what the world is trying to do to us. Looking for every opportunity, looking for a crack, saying, okay, well, we're gonna, the world wants to take that opportunity and drag us away from Jesus and drag us into foolishness, drag us into adultery so that we're not being faithful to God and ultimately then we are not showing glory to God and we are destroying ourselves. That's what the world wants. We see a couple of pieces here of this young man who's walking around and we just see that he is naive, he is simple, because what he is doing, he is in the wrong place at the wrong time. And he put himself there. As we see this uh, come out in this passage, we see that he's walking by her corner on her street. Now, did he know for sure that she was there? Who knows? That's not really the point here. The point is he's in a place he really shouldn't be. He's in the seedy part of town. He's there. He's walking along the way that is going to lead to temptation that ultimately will bring him destruction. How many times are we finding ourselves putting ourselves in the wrong places? Opening ourselves up for temptation by being in the wrong place, by, by tempting sin, by being like, this is, this is that idea of the age old question that everybody asks when they're dating, but really everybody asks it about everything. And that is that how far is too far? Right, this is the question we're asking. Well, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna go this far and maybe it won't quite be sin. Uh, so I don't really know where that line is, but I'm gonna walk right on that line, uh, because I, I want to be as close to sin as possible without actually sinning. And that's kind of where he's at. He's walking on the street. At this point, he's not like, oh, I know where the adulteress's house is. I'm going to walk to it, and I'm going to just go there because this is my goal. No, he's, he's, he's just walking around on the streets. He's near her corner. He's opening himself up for temptation. And can I just say, for us today, I think the application is pretty simple. We need to go out of our way to make sure that we are not allowing there to be an uh, opportunity for temptation in our lives. Now, we understand this when it comes to physical adultery. Like, I, I shouldn't go out to extended dinners with other women without my wife knowing, without there any kind of accountability. That would be dumb. And the same, but that's what we do with the world. Like, I'm going to go out to dinner with the world and flirt with the world, and, but you know what? I'm not going to actually, like, fully give myself to the world. Like, uh, like I've heard so many people say, well, you know, it's okay to to have a little bit of fun and have, you know, to flirt here and there as long as it doesn't go too far. And that's like, that is so dangerous in a real relationship. And it's, it's just as dangerous in a relationship with God where we say, you know what, I'm just going to get close to the world, uh, but I'm not going to quite go all the way. And I feel like that's what this young man is doing is he's walking on the street, he's walking by her corner. He's in the wrong place. Maybe it's even for us today, sometimes the place comes to us. It's our, it's, our, it's our smart devices, it's our computers, it's our TVs, it's, it's our books that we read. Like, we keep things close to us. So maybe it's not that we're going somewhere we shouldn't go, but we keep things close to us that bring temptation. Now, trust me, I'm not saying you need to go home and throw out all your computers, throw away all your phones. Like, I've got a phone, I've got a computer, all of that stuff. But oftentimes, we are more committed to those comforts of life, even if it means that it, we're going to be tempted to sin. And I would just say... There are times where you need to remove something from your presence to help fight against temptation. What that might mean for you is really up to you. But not only the wrong place, the wrong time. We see he's walking at night, twilight when it's dark. The Bible is very clear that darkness is a clear metaphor for bad stuff. Sin, 
Darkness is, is not a good thing. It's wickedness. Foolishness is what happens at night. The understanding that you can do whatever you want in the darkness and it won't be exposed because there's no light to see it. And we'll see that a little bit later as we talk as well. But how often are we caught up at just at the wrong time? We're putting ourselves in places, we're doing things at the wrong time where we know that there is this understanding that I can do these things in the darkness and it's not in the light. And this comes out in many ways, but it comes out in our private, a privatization of our sin life. Like, I can sin as long as it's in private. That's not what God is expecting. That is still adultery, even if it's in the darkness. Live in the light with other people and in accountability. This young man had no accountability. He was not in the light, but walking in the darkness. We should not do the same. We need to keep moving. Uh, as we look at the next section, not only does Lady Folly lay and wait for us, so we need to make sure that we are not allowing opportunity in our life for temptation. Whatever we can do to remove temptation, let us do that. Pray for God to remove temptation, but also take steps of removing temptation. But we see that the spiral continues. So she's laying, waiting and waiting for us. Lady Folly also wants to seduce us, verses, seven, or verses 10 through 21. I've already read a few of these, but let's read them again. And behold, the woman meets him dressed as a prostitute, wily of heart. She is loud and wayward. Her feet do, do not stay at home. Now in the street, now in the market, and in every corner she lies in wait. She seizes him and kisses him. And with bold face, she says to him, I had to offer sacrifices today, and today I have paid my vows. So now I have come out to meet you, to seek you eagerly, and I have found you. I have spread my couch with coverings, colored linens from Egyptian linen. I have perfumed my bed with myrrh, aloes, and cinnamon. Come, let us take our fill of love till morning. Let us delight ourselves with love. For my husband is not home. He has gone on a long journey. He took a bag of money with him. And at full moon, he will come home. All right, so we see this passage. We see the next step in this spiral, and that is that Lady Folly wants to seduce us. This woman, this adulteress in this story, as, as Solomon is telling his son this story, this adulteress is not only laying in wait, but she is ready to seduce in any way she can. We see that happening as she's seizing him. She's literally physically uh, putting herself in him. Like she's seizing him, kissing him, and then, you know, says, oh, I've offered sacrifices, which there, there's a lot of confusion what this really is about. Is this meaning that she's saying, I've already done my spiritual duty, so now I can do whatever I want? That might be true. It also seems like since she's paid her vows already, and this is a peace offering that she was offering, that that means she had a feast at home. Because after you gave the offering, you were supposed to eat a feast. So the understanding is, is now this young man's not only going to be being kissed by this woman who's dressed seductively, and she's asking him to come into her house... Not only is it for her pleasure, but also for his pleasure and also for food. You know, the way to a man's heart is his stomach, right? We kind of see that piece here. So there's food being offered. There's pleasure being offered. She's kissing him. She's seducing him. Um, she flatters him. Now I've come out to meet you and to seek you eagerly, and here I have found you. Like, oh, I came for you. Like, you're the, you're the best, so I want you. And so he, there's flattery happening. Uh, there is, she's promising comfort and just ultimate satisfaction with how she's prepared her home, with how it smells good and looks good. 
And then probably one of the bigger ways that she even will use to seduce him is to say, oh, by the way, with all of this happening, you don't have to worry about my husband coming home. He's going to be gone for a couple days. Like, so you can come in and we can just enjoy ourselves for as long as we want. There's not going to be any fear of repercussion. We're not going to get caught. There's no, there's no problem here. These are the things that this adulteress uses to draw this man in, to draw this young man in. And then we read in verse 21, with much seductive speech, she persuades him, and her smooth talk, she compels him. By all the things she's saying and doing, she draws him in to her home to give in to adultery and to ultimately give in to destruction. How does that work for us? Well, we've already looked at a few of these things when we looked at 1 John 2, uh, but we understand here that there's the seduction of the eyes. We see that here. You know, she was dressed as a prostitute. Uh, this is lust. Like, this world we live in wants us to lust. And maybe it's not for someone of the opposite sex. Uh, a lot of times that is, especially, if, uh, you know, young men struggle with this. All men can struggle with this at times. It doesn't mean that it has to be a struggle, but it means it can happen. But there's other things we lust for besides sexual lust. A lot of times we hear the word lust and we just say, oh, okay, well, yeah, if you, if you want to be with somebody that's not your spouse or you're looking at someone in the wrong way, you're looking at pornography, that's lust. Yeah, all that is lust. But lust is a, anything that we desire so much that we'll do whatever it takes to get it, and we're willing to sin for it. And so lust is more than just sexual lust. This is, we see something, we want it. We covet, we desire, we want so badly. And so, just like in First John 2, but we understand this is where this woman starts. She's dressed as a prostitute, he sees her, uh, she even draws him a picture with her words, and his eyes draw him in. And so often that can be the truth of how Lady Folly of this world seduces us. There's the seduction of the flesh, comfort, and pleasure. We see what she did for that. She seizes him, kisses him, gives him all the things that he would need, from food to a comfortable place to a good-smelling area. All of that she does to seduce him in. And isn't that what the world will do as well? The world will try to tell us that if you want to be comfortable and experience pleasure and enjoy life the way you need to, well, this is how you do it. You just need to look out for number one. You need to make sure that you have everything you need and want. And if you, however you feel, you just go ahead and live that way and do whatever it takes to make you feel good. And, and the world has lots of ways that we can do that. Like they've given us so many opportunities that we can just walk away and just, just worship ourselves and our pleasure and our comfort. That there are so many places we can go, whether it's a physical place we can go, as I said earlier, whether it's uh, the bar or some place like that that just will give us into our temptations. But maybe it's also something that comes into our home through our screens. There are so many things that will seduce us, but the world says, hey, I've got this all set for you. If you will just give into this, it's going to be great. It's going to be comfortable. You're going to have all the pleasure you've ever wanted. You're going to be comfortable. It's going to be great. And that is the lie of the world as it tries to seduce us into its ways. Then also, as we've looked at the eyes and the flesh, now the pride of life, the, the pride of life where we think it's all about us, and, and we see the woman doing that through flattery uh, and also secrecy. Like, first of all, she flatters him, says, you know, oh, I've been looking for you, I found you, I finally got you. You're so wonderful. Isn't the world telling us, you deserve this, you're the one that's so good, you're enough, you're good, you're wonderful, so all of this is yours to have because this is all about you, and you're such a good person, you deserve everything that you want. That's what the world kind of says, they're flattering us. But there's also this idea of secrecy. She says, hey, my husband's not going to come home for a couple days, we got as much time as we want. How often does the world say, ah, you can 
dabble in this, dabble in that. You can do this. Nobody's ever going to find out. Nobody's going to know what's really going on. You can keep this a secret. It's okay. Like if nobody knows about it, it's not really going to hurt anybody. How many times have we heard things like that? And yet destruction happens. Families are torn apart. Lives are destroyed. And ultimately, we see that even our relationship with God is taken apart and taken down. When people give in to all those things because, well, uh, I can do it in secret. We can never do anything in secret. Let's keep that clear. The Bible is very clear. God sees everything. He knows everything. Maybe people may never find out. But he always will know. And so therefore, this is a lie straight from the world, straight from Satan that says, you can do whatever you want and no one will ever know. And finally, we see that her words and her seductions will draw us to her. The world is trying to seduce us. They lay in wait. They're looking for an opportunity. They get the opportunity, and the world is going to say, come on over. Walk away from Jesus. That's, you know, how, that's, that's prudish. That's hard to live. It's not worth it. That's not how, I mean, you're not really being a good person if you're following Jesus. You need to follow the world. That's what they'll say, and so often we can give in to that, and that is spiritual adultery. Finally, though, as we look at this passage in chapter 7, we see that Lady Folly will not only lie and wait for us and seduce us, Lady Folly will kill us. Chapter 7 to, to the end, really. Uh, but today we're going to specifically just look at 22 and 23. All at once he follows her as an ox goes to the slaughter or as a stag is caught fast till an arrow pierces its liver as a bird rushes into a snare. He does not know that it will cost him his life. I don't know how much more we need to say, but just to say that following Lady Folly is a trap that leads to slaughter. This man that gives in to adultery, he's bought into her house. It will destroy him and he, she will kill him. This is what happens to us when we choose to live the world's way instead of living the life of following Jesus and wisdom. It leads to destruction. Now for the person who doesn't know Jesus in the first place, it's going to lead to ultimate destruction in hell. But it also will very really cause, if we are following Jesus and yet we fall, we fall to the side to, to follow the world, we're, we're leading ourselves to slaughter, like an ox to the slaughter, like a bird that's going to be killed. We're trapped. We're falling for the trap of the world. The world wants to trap us and kill us, and we need to make sure that we are following Lady Wisdom, trusting in Jesus, and not giving in to the world. Which leads us to our conclusion today. If we understand that there is spiritual adultery where we can walk in the ways of the world that says, it's all about me, it's all about what I want, it's all about what I see, it's all about what I feel, it's all about me, me, me. If we live that way, we're, wa- we're walking in adultery, we're being unfaithful to Jesus because we're not following him completely, we're not saying, Jesus, this life is about you and not me. That the world will seduce us, it'll wait for us, it, the world will do whatever it takes to get us and kill us. And so in order to remedy that, we need to, as Solomon will say to his sons, here at the end in verse 24 through 27, let's read this. And now, O sons, listen to me. Be attentive to the words of my mouth. Let not your heart turn aside to her ways. Do not stray into her paths. For many a victim she has laid low, and all her slain are a mighty throng. Her house is the way to Sheol, going down to the chambers of death. Well, Solomon makes it pretty clear. Following the adulteress leads to death. So therefore, turn your heart aside from her ways. Do not stray into her paths. This is what we can walk away understanding. That the death offered by Lady Folly is only remedied by God. 
to follow God and to turn away from folly, to turn away from the adulteress and to turn towards God, to turn towards Jesus, that is the only way that we can have deliverance from spiritual adultery. Because as we follow his path, he will lead us in straight ways. And we understand that here from this passage, but we understand that from the whole of Scripture, that we follow Jesus, walk in his narrow path and not the the wide path of the wicked. We walk in the narrow path of Jesus by following him, listening to his word, allowing him to live, uh, allowing him to tell us how to live instead of living for ourselves. We need to stay away from lady folly and embrace lady wisdom. That's what we need to do. We need to run to Jesus and run away from lady folly. That is the call that Solomon puts upon his kids for real adultery and also spiritual adultery. Run away, get away, stay away, do not stray, or there will be death and destruction. So here's what we do understand is we're going to about to just take a few more verses to look at this morning. I know we're getting towards the end here. As we stay away from Lady Folly and embrace Lady Wisdom, we need to know that the death that is offered by Lady Folly is only remedied by God's grace through humble submission to God. Humility is the opposite of the world system. Remember James chapter 3 and 4. Remember where we left, where James 4 said, you're adulteresses if you follow the ways of the world, and that leads you to destruction, that leads you uh, to the end. But he continues in James 4 in verses 6 through 10, This is what he says immediately talking about how the people he's writing to have committed adultery against God by giving into the ways of the world and looking out for themselves in selfish ambition. This is what he says in James 4, 6 through 10. But he gives more grace. That that word but is great here. But he gives more grace. So even when, even in times that we are not faithful to God, God gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud but gives grace to the humble. Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hearts, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep. Let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and he will exalt you. There is a promise. Even in the times that we are spiritual, spiritually adulterous to God himself, and he showed this even through the people of Israel. He remained faithful to them even though they had to go through times of punishment and exile. He remained faithful. He ultimately remained faithful by providing Jesus not only to the Jews but also to all people. But we see here that if we draw near to God and humble ourselves and cleanse our hands and, and, and purify our hearts, be wretched and mourn and weep, that's, that's humility. It's saying, no, this world isn't about me. This this is humility. The the world isn't about me. The world is all about Jesus. Everything I do and say needs to be rooted in him, not in myself. And he says, God gives grace for us to be able to do that and live that way. We can't do it on our own strength, but through his grace, we can submit to him and resist the devil, resist the world system. We can resist that and give and submit to God through God's grace in our lives. So that is the hope we have. So we stay away from Lady Folly and embrace Lady Wisdom through God's grace. So the question we all need to ask today is, is this true of you? Are you being faithful to Jesus? Through humility, are you living this life for him, or are you living this life for yourself? If you're living for yourself, and you're living for the world, and you're living for all, whatever makes me feel good, look good, however this world can make me the best, and you're not looking to Jesus to give him glory, then you're committing spiritual adultery. That's not a place we need to be, because that is a place that leads to destruction, However, Christ gives hope. Christ and his grace gives hope. Which brings us then 
to our last question that we all need to consider. Are you experiencing real life in Christ? Remember, Lady Folly, the world brings death, but Christ brings life. Are you experiencing real life in Christ? Lady Folly and the worldliness she brings will kill us. But Lady Wisdom, following Jesus, will bring us life and life eternal. I want to finish our time today by going to Ephesians chapter 2. We're going to finish our time today, Ephesians 2. And we're going to be looking at 1 through 7. I know it says 1 through 10. We're actually only going to be looking through 7 today. Ephesians 2, 1 through 7. And you were dead in the trespasses and sins in which you once walked, following the course of this world, following the prince of the power of the air, the spirit that is now at work in the sons of disobedience, among whom we all lived in the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind, and were by nature children of wrath like the rest of mankind. But God, being rich in mercy, because of the great love by which he loved us, even when we were dead in our trespasses, made us alive together with Christ. By grace you have been saved. And he has raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus, so that in the coming ages he might show the immeasurable riches of his grace in kindness towards us in Christ Jesus. I want to leave on an encouraging note. For those of us who know Jesus, this has been done. He says that you were dead in trespasses. And what does that mean? Well, in which we walked, we were following the course of this world, in verse 2. Following the prince of the power of the air. We were following the world. This is the state of every single human as we're brought into this world, is that we are dead in sins because we are following the course of this world and following the power of the prince of this air and being disobedient. We've all, we all lived once according to the passions of our flesh, carrying out the desires of the body and of the mind. It's that lust of the eyes, lust of the flesh, pride of life. We were all there. But for those who received Jesus, we are giving something different. Because of his mercy, even though we deserved destruction and death and hell, it's because of God's great love by which he loved us that when we were dead, when we were a part of the world, when we were disobedient, when we were all of these things, we were made alive together with Christ, for by grace you have been saved. And then ultimately he did all of this to show his great kindness towards us. And this is what I want us to end with this morning. Spiritual adultery is a serious thing that will be harmful and destructive, and we need to flee from it. This is a daily process for sure, but it is also something that we need to do by leaning into Jesus and the salvation that he has given us. He has made us alive so that we no longer have to be dead. Jesus has paid the price. Jesus came to this world, God himself taking on flesh, lived a perfect life, that we couldn't live, ended up dying on the cross and giving his very life so that he could be a substitute for the punishment for our sin, which was to experience the wrath of God and a separation from a relationship with him forever. Jesus said, no, I'm going to come and I'm going to die on the cross so that I will take their place, not have to die for the sin, not have to die for their spiritual, they won't have to die for their spiritual adultery. I will do it for them if they will receive in faith what I'll do. So he died on the cross and then he rose again. He, he, if he's going to give us life, then he needed to prove that death is not the victor. And so he rose again to show that I am powerful over sin and death and the, the sacrifice I made is accepted by God and therefore sin and death no longer have a hold on people, but life will have a hold on people if they come to me. All of scripture says, 
that if we want to be in this group, if we want to be the ones that God has shown mercy to, love, if we want to be alive instead of dead in our trespasses, if we want to be seated with Christ, if we want to be, have everything and be one with him, then we need to come to him in faith and repentance to say, Jesus, I am dead in my trespasses and sin. I, I am living a way that is all about me, 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 and trying to get whatever I can about my, my desires, my lusts, all of those things that I want. I am living a life in which I am living for that. God says, I have mercy, I have grace. Come to me, ask, be humble. Say, I don't want this to be about me and come to Jesus and say, I believe in who you are. I believe that you have died for me. I believe that you rose again. I believe that only life can be found in you and you alone. Come to him, pray, ask, ask him to save you. Commit yourself to him. Turn away from living for the world and live for him. But then even in the times, whether after you've made that choice, after you're following Jesus, even the times that we, we take a step out and we go towards the adulterous house, we still have grace that we can come back and ask God for forgiveness because that's what he promises. But it's not because we're strong enough, it's because he's good enough, because he will give us hope. He will give us life even though the world promises death. So if you want life today, if you have not come to know Jesus as your Savior, you have not received all that we just talked about, that he did that for you and you've received him as your Savior, make today the day you do that. Don't wait any longer. And for all of us, can we just be careful to stay away from spiritual adultery because it is harmful and destructive. We need to trust in Christ and his grace to allow us to be humble and to live a life of submission to him and faithfulness to him. Let us close in prayer this morning. Lord, thank you for bringing us together. Thank you for your truth. Pray that you would help us to know you, to walk in your ways, to walk away from the world and walk towards you. Help us not to be drawn in and enticed by the adulteress of this world. Uh, God, we do pray that you would also remind us that it's only through your grace and your mercy that we can have life. Would you remind us of that life each day? Would you give each and every person that life that is listening to this message now? I pray all this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, well, we're going to go right into announcement time. I know I took a long time today, but let's uh, look at a few announcements pretty quickly, and then Pastor Justin has a few more to add right at the end. So, uh, first of all, you're going to see in uh, your bulletin that uh, the Epic Epic event is coming up. Uh, Epic Epic, this is for teens, so this is teens 7th through 12th grade. Um, and we are inviting everyone to come up from 2 to 10. It's going to be a long day. We're going to do lots of events. It's going to be like a taste of Epic. It's going to kind of show all the...